Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I am the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. A prayer for the communion of saints. O eternal Lord God, you hold all souls in life. Shed forth upon your whole church in paradise and on earth the bright beams of your light and heavenly comfort, and grant that we, following the good examples of those who have loved and served you here and are now at rest, may enter with them into the fullness of your unending joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, KKVV family. Great to be with you here again at the Christian Classical Corner, where we're talking about how Christian classical education can be a blessed tool in the Lord's service for the purpose of discipling His children and helping them to grow in heart, mind, wisdom, and strength. Now, the prayer I prayed this morning from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer is one for the whole communion of the saints, all the great examples of Christian witness who have gone on before us and who are now the church at rest, who can inspire us and give us examples to help us on our journey. I thought that might be a good topic for us all today as All Saints Day is just a few days away. And as always, these prayers are available to you online in free, downloadable PDF form at bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. Do check it out. That's bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. Now back with us today is, to talk about the saints, is Deacon Aaron Giles from Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. And Deacon Aaron is a graduate of Princeton and the Church Divinity School of the Pacific. She's an ordained deacon in the Anglican Church of North America and a coordinator for clergy examinations here in our provinces of the Western region. And more importantly, a presbytera or priest's wife, a mother of six, and one of our teachers at the Good Shepherd School Project. Welcome, Erin. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Margaret. It's good to be here with you this morning. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the saints. Now, references to the saints are all over the New Testament. But sometimes Protestant churches don't really talk about the saints. A lot of people kind of think, well, it's just a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox thing. So why do we as the Anglican Church, and especially at Jesus the Good Shepherd, do that, even though we're a Protestant tradition? Well, stories are very powerful, and uh, one of the biggest questions uh, for me, and I think for many Christians, is what is it like to follow Jesus? What does that look like? And one of the best ways uh, to know that is to look at the lives of others who have followed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in their particular place and time in life. And so uh, from the beginning, uh, even within the Protestant tradition, telling those stories of the lives of faithful Christians is a very powerful 
powerful um, thing that that Christians do and have done. I think of some of the the contemporary uh, folks and stories that I know um, are widely known to us today, uh, such as the lives of uh, someone like Joni Erickson Tata and and her testimony and witness. Mm -hmm. And um, the early Protestants, uh, one of the most popular devotional books was, in fact, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. So the stories of the early Protestants, their lives and their witness. And I would say that there are many others I was thinking of um, Jim Elliott and Nathan Saint, uh, and they're the missionaries who were killed in, uh, martyred in Ecuador for their faith, uh, and even the testimony of uh, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, who went back and uh, taught the Christian faith to those who had murdered her husband. Oh, so wow. those stories are just incredibly powerful visions of what it is to follow Christ. And I think we also have in our own lives uh, those people who have discipled us and taught us, it might be our grand mother. It might be a person uh, who first invited us to church. It might be our Sunday, Sunday school, school teacher. teacher. Yeah, could be a lot grandfather, of all those people in our own lives. So in the Protestant tradition, one may not describe them as saints, but I think the stories of faithful Christians are just incredibly heartening to see that God has worked in people's lives and all kinds of people's lives in all kinds of ways. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about how uh, those early stories from our own childhoods affect us. Can you think of, of other kind of concrete examples of, of how we and our children gain from this study that, you know, I was trying you you'd ask that question so I was thinking about it um, and I was thinking about uh, in the early days of the uh, COVID-19 uh, lockdown when uh, it was very unsure and this disease had come among us mm-hmm. and uh, people were afraid uh, and we were talking about it with our children and trying to talk about how we were going to respond and live our lives and uh, my oldest daughter said well mom the saints were not scared they went all over and took care of people who were sick when they were sick that's yes. something that Christians have always done is be nurses and doctors and she said mom they weren't scared why would we be scared Jesus loves us just as much as he loves them he's still our Lord and Savior and I have to say that just really <laughs> convicted me and really changed wow. my vision of how I was going to respond to this, that yes, uh, we could die of this disease. It's possible, Um, you know, given our health situation and all that. uh, I wasn't particularly, uh, you know, directly concerned, but it was possible. And and that fear of death is powerful. But to hear from my daughter that reading about the lives of other Christians who had been willing to face that fear uh, was so powerful for her, I just thought, well, that's it. We can't be afraid. And yeah. so... And through plagues where there was a lot more death and exactly. a lot lot fewer ways of combating it and, and all of that. And the Christians just, just powered on through the, the power of the Holy Spirit and, and said... Let's do this. And we're willing to, to know that there are things that, that are worth dying for. That, yes. we're, that if we're called to care for people who are sick or we're called to, to say things that are uh, perhaps difficult or the, the martyrdom testimonies from the Anglican Church, um, you know, in, in places like Nigeria and other places yeah. in our own world, the martyrdom testimonies from uh, Christians in China and right now in Afghanistan. Yes. I mean, we have incredible martyrdom stories that are going on uh, all around us. And those stories are just... Um, powerful and can give us strength and courage. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, well done to you as a mom for for <clears throat> helping to inculcate the faith in your own children to the point that they can look at that and just say, well, of course, Christians have been doing this this for centuries. Um, let's let's roll, as they say. Now, speaking of, of motherhood and the saints, you told me about a book title, The Mothers of the Saints. Tell me a little bit more about that book and how that's, that can work as an example for us. Sure. So uh, there was a point in my life where uh, I was considering a certain kind of ministry, uh, primarily kind of a more public ministry of preaching and teaching and working outside the home. And the Lord convicted me that that was not going to be what he was going to call me to, that mm. um, I was going to be doing something else. And I sort of said, okay, well, I've been to school, as you noted in my introduction, uh, spent um, four years studying theology and, uh, you know, have quite a bit of, um, you know, education and knowledge. And now I was not going to be doing what I'd prepared for. Um, and I said to the Lord, I need to do something with this. What is it that you're going to ask me to do? You're asking me to lay down this vision that I've had for a long time of what my life would be like. What else do you have for me? And I was in the library at our seminary, and I found a book uh, by Wendy Leefield titled Mothers of the Saints, Portraits of Ten Mothers of the Saints and Three Saints Who Were Mothers. And uh, at that time, I, uh, my husband and I were recently married. We did not have children. Uh, I'd never been one of those women who thought they were going to have children. I was always preparing for a career and preparing for home, or not preparing to be at home, but preparing for a career. Talk about life is what happens uh, <laughs> when, when you're making other plans. The Lord said, nope, Aaron, we got, we got other, other plans for you. And, and I thought, uh, you know, I don't want to sort of waste this $80,000 plus education and all these years yes. of, you know, that I've invested in studying. And of course it wasn't because I helped my husband in the parish and now with Good School Shepherd School Project. So the Lord knew what he was doing and knew that I would need that education. And really everything we have is for him. So it's all a gift that he's given me. I just have to figure out how Amen. to give it back to him. But uh, at the time, it seemed as I was graduating and uh, explaining to my parents who had helped fund this education what I was going to be doing, and it was kind of a practical, what am I going to do? And the Lord put this book into my hands, and I started reading it. And uh, it's written by a Catholic, Roman Catholic laywoman, Wendy Leefield. It's very difficult to find in print uh, and can be rather expensive. But I think there are other books who are that address the same topic. So I wouldn't say, you know, that was just the first one I encountered. Uh, but I think there's a lot of uh, writing about this topic. Um, but for me, it was particularly powerful. It was, um, she took saints um, in the Roman Catholic tradition and a couple of Protestant women, and she looked at their lives with a particular focus, which was how, uh, and she looked at their mother's lives specifically with a particular focus. Um, so one example, I'll just say the first one in the book is a woman named Maria Kolbe. She was a Polish um, Roman Catholic woman and uh, very devout, and she had several sons, um, one of whom became a Polish Roman Catholic priest and was um, volunteered to be killed in a concentration camp in mm -hmm. Germany uh, under the Nazi regime. Uh, Maximilian Kolbe is his name, and he's since uh, become a saint. But she took uh, the life of his mother specifically. Most lives of the saints are written about the saint, uh, you know, him or herself. Right. But specifically, um, Wendy Leefield uh, was a mother and was interested in knowing how did these women who were mothers and who had children who became saints, how did they consider their task of motherhood? What was it that they did? Uh, and how did they understand their project 
as a mother. Uh, and so she, it's, they're very short, uh, maybe five or ten pages. Um, some of them are shorter than others. And then they have discussion questions at the end. And I've read through them. I had a, a women's group that I read it with, um, and uh, several of the, the women were new to um, the whole idea of saints and, and things. And a lot of the things are very challenging. Some of these women did some very outrageous things, and that can be true in general of the lives of the saints. St. Saint Francis is very popular uh, as a saint, known largely for his love of nature and, and things, but he was led a rather outrageous life, um, and that, that can be the case. And, and there's a... Um, a radicalness often to uh, the saints and and in the, this case to the mothers of the saints. I mean, very intense focus on spiritual development with their children uh, and not even so much education, but really focus on developing the heart and the practices of the heart and intentionality of character and um, developing practices of prayer, uh, describes Marie Vianney. Her son became Jean Vianney, a very well-known um, French priest in the 18th, uh, in the 19th century, uh, under the Catholic, the uh, persecutions of the Catholic Church by Napoleon and the other secularizing forces in mm. France, um, the Catholic Church was uh, very much persecuted at that time. And Marie Vianney would teach her son, I remember specifically, to stop every hour, uh, you know, and pray and make the sign of the cross over his body. And I know many Protestants don't make those kinds of gestures, but I would say that the, the point of crossing oneself is to use one's whole body in worship and to, to be marked with the sign of the cross. So she taught her son at, at a very early age to every hour stop and mark herself, mark himself with the sign of the cross, recognizing, uh, you know, that his body is dedicated to the Lord and, uh, you know, is, and is and to accept that understanding of our, ourselves as following the crucified Christ. So and that's even, just, if you're, <clears throat> even if you're not using things like the sign of the cross, I mean, just to stop every hour, to, and we've talked about that in the corner here before, that, you know, um, taking your time and, mm-hmm. and knowing that your time is the Lord's and so forming it around the Lord instead of the world is a huge discipline that, that, changes your heart that forms up your heart and that so. was just one specific example but there's lots of them in the, in the book but thinking about uh you know and to me it was very helpful as someone who had not uh been very i'd been around children but not really ever considered uh motherhood as a vocation or a calling so to read about women who did see it that way and who very intentionally formed their their daily life with their children, uh, you know, around teaching them about the Lord in their particular situations. And she describes, uh, you know, one of them's a queen, Queen Margaret of Scotland. So obviously mm. in my life, I'm not, uh, you know, a queen, but um, <laughs> but I am, you know, she was wanting to raise her children to uh, be good stewards of society. You know, they were going to be kings and, and have that kind of power, right. but I want my children to be good citizens and to think about, uh, you know, how it is that they... Um, treat with manners and, uh, you know, if they're in responsible positions in work or supervising people, uh, you know, how do they um, do that under the direction of the Lord? So that's the kind of, to me, the kind of questions that can arise out of reading the lives of these people, uh, these women specifically, uh, you know, to help, you know, think about what situations my children might be in and then to, to try to think, how can I guide them? How can I offer them resources so that 
ultimately they're going to go off and lead their own lives. They're not going to stay you know, with me yes. forever. And my goal is for them to be able to develop their own relationship with the Lord and walk their own path. They can't just take my faith. They have to take their faith on. No, they've got to they've got to take it, make it their own, internalize it, which very clearly your oldest daughter has done that, <laughs> which is, is amazing. Um, but I'm and now you've piqued my curiosity. What are some of the other kind of more radical examples that you can remember of oh, what women did wow. for their... I mean, is St. Monica see. in there? St. Monica is in there. So that's... St. Monica is a saint, uh, and her son, Augustine of Hippo, is also a saint. And uh, specifically, uh, she uh, was an illiterate peasant, illiterate woman, Christian woman, married to a man who was not a Christian. Uh, also, the, her husband, Patricius, was considered to be a, a drunkard, or that is related uh, mm. by... in uh, we, What we have about St. Monica's life is the testimony of her son, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, in his book, The Confessions. So his confession uh, is his confession of faith that he writes upon conversion to Christianity. Uh, he was raised by a Christian mother, but he did not accept the faith for himself until he was uh, much older. And he he had a period of wandering into um, the heresies of his day, um, and Monica was just devastated by the thought that her son would not come into faith. I think this is uh, something that many of us uh, in contemporary society can also relate to, mm -hmm. having that grief of, uh, you know, wayward children. I've met uh, many people who have that kind of grief, and to me, say, I always recommend that they look at the life of St. Monica because she... Um, just would not give up and prayed absolutely without uh, without end, without ceasing for the salvation of her son. Uh, he he left home and went to North Africa is where he was born. Hippo is located in North Africa uh, and he went to Rome. So she followed him there um, and she uh, was continually in church praying and weeping and he describes uh, just the force of her faith uh, constantly at the at daily at church, you know, what we might say, you know, prayer vigils and um, uh, you know, they were celebrating Holy Communion and regularly interceding and uh, pleading with Bishop uh, of um, Anselm of Milan, uh, where they had gone after Rome uh, to be in Milan. And uh, Augustine was an extremely educated a young man. He was a teacher of rhetoric, a teacher of uh, Latin, an extremely educated person. This is why he thought he knew better than his mother. And, uh, and Monica just is in absolutely uh, unwilling, unyielding in her prayers for him. And what St. Uh, Saint Ambrose of Milan finally tells her is that uh, these, the tears uh, wept with this fervor will not go unanswered by the Lord. And he mm -hmm. basically promises her that, that um, he believes that the Lord will eventually change St. Augustine of Hippo's heart, which he does. Uh, and then he writes uh, his confession. Um, it's you know not a confession like in court, but a confession meaning uh, his testimony of faith. Today we might say his testimony, uh, but he calls it his confession. And he describes you know his early childhood with his mother and the things that she did. So she was you know radical in her um, pursuit of him and in her her uh, literal pursuit yes, of him. I mean, she, she, she went to continents. <laughs> she went to uh, Rome. She called, pursued him across continents, um, and. And was just and and there and is prayed, a, and prayed, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and wept and wept and wept and mourned uh, for him, and 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 the story is also in his confession that eventually her husband comes to faith, and I mean there's there's lots to that, um, but her singular uh, focus I would say is one of the more radical um, 
one of example of a very radical testimony given um, of a mother who ultimately uh, not only becomes a saint herself, but then also uh, raises a son who is one of the great saints of the church. One of the great uh, teachers of the church, yeah. And uh, ex- expositors of the faith. So he brings together that tremendous education that he had and ultimately comes to faith in Christ and is able to, you know, write out the faith in a way that we're still reading about 1,600 years later, um, and it's still very fresh and describes the faith. But, but all the saints don't go back 1,600 years. I mean, we see them all across time, all across it's, cultures, all across... Uh, I Maria mean, Kolbe, who I mentioned, uh, right. you know, is, is a ni- 1940s, so contemporary 20th oh, century. Oh, now don't, don't go saying that, because people who listen to the Christian Classical Corner regularly think that everybody that I talk about is from the 1940s, because, <laughs> but hopefully. Uh, you know, no, others that are mentioned uh, in the book, um, well, they're... Um, Susanna Wesley, so again, might be known to many listeners uh, as the mother of John and Charles Wesley, oh, yeah. some of the great preachers um, of the Great Awakening and the, the 18th century, uh, founders of Methodism, uh, and also tremendous hymn writers. I mean, we still sing Charles Wesley's uh, hymns quite frequently, especially yes. at, at Christmas time, right? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, but there's many other great Wesleyan hymns that are still sung. And Susanna Wesley is quite a character. Um, she and it's just, her husband was a was an Anglican priest, uh, but she was a preacher in her own right. And I think one of the reasons why uh, in Methodism women have always had a roles as preachers and teachers is after being raised by Susanna Wesley. There's no way that the, Absolutely. the, yeah. the her children could uh, could deny the importance um, of of uh, women and uh, their leadership and, and teaching. Great. So, so. there, uh, Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, another American. Uh, she's an American woman, a Roman Catholic. Uh, battles loses uh, basically her husband and all of her children to uh, tuberculosis, um, and uh, is uh, the her thing is uh, described as her story as prepare, preparing her daughters to die, and then becomes a founder of Roman Catholic education uh, in the. Uh, United States founding schools and and teaching uh, the faith, but I think that's an important aspect of it too. As a mother, uh, as a young mother, was realizing that part of our job is also to prepare our children for those really hard times, whatever they are. Uh, you know, in her case, it was incurable illness. You know, today now we would have antibiotics and you'd be able to to cure those illnesses of tuberculosis. But there are women in our communities whose children uh, have uh, you know debilitating illnesses uh, and are going. To to cancers or different things, tumors, whatever, these kinds of debilitating illnesses, and to understand, uh, you know, how to, even though it seems wrong to us that we must prepare them for these this kind of suffering, it's incumbent on us as Christians and as, and as mothers to help our children understand in the midst of that kind of suffering and... Um, yeah, and ultimately for us as mothers, right? I mean, we're our children's first teachers. First doctor. First doctors. First <laughs> prayer warriors. First everything. First everything. And our role in their education is quintessential, right? Because, you know, you and I can talk about, well, we teach at the Good Shepherd School. But any parent, any teacher knows that parents have got to be with you. And there has to be that relationship between whatever educational system that you have and parents for children to really come to these understandings, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of my other favorite books, I think I've talked to you about it before, is the um, the story of Corey Ten Boom and her family, right? Again, sorry, it's the 1940s, but uh, <laughs> they were, uh, were Dutch Christians um, who 
uh, hid Jews at you know cost of their own lives, and many of many of her family were killed in um, concentration camps. Corrie Ten Boom survived and was able to write the stories. Her book, The Hiding Place, is the most well known uh, book, which describes that period of their life when they hid hid. Uh, Jews in their home and then and then were sent to concentration camps uh, and how they survived. The books that I have found uh, very fascinating as well, having read The Hiding Place, but there's also um, Father Tenboom, which is really a biography of her father, Casper uh, mm. Tenboom, and then also In My Father's House. And in those two books, she describes their home life and how we've talked before about the green pasture and the vision yes. of Jesus the Good Shepherd as a green pasture. And I would say uh, that our home lives uh, could be seen the same way, that our job is to provide um, our children with uh, the nurturing and nourishment that they need uh, to face hard times that that will come to them in whatever form. And so um, I find I found that particular book um, in my father's house and Father Tenboom when she describes their home life practices, reading scripture every morning so that, you know, when she's in the concentration camp or she's in prison, uh, she knows the scriptures just down to just, her core. She can just they, say them to herself because she, she's internalized them They at are that point. in, you know, the story of God's salvation is just in who she is yeah. and the absolute love that she knows that her parents have for her, uh, you know, and, and their practice of, of um, sacrificing and caretaking. They didn't begin taking people into their homes when they started hiding Jews. That was a practice of generous hospitality that had been going on, uh, you know, from the time that they were first married when they would take in um, orphan children or things. So. Right. And so that's the kind of atmosphere that we want to provide for at the Good Shepherd School Project, that we want to help parents provide for at the Good Shepherd School Project. And we want to give them, <clears throat> excuse me, great Christian examples. And so thank you for sharing some of those with us today, Deacon Aaron. You're Much appreciated. Welcome. So for more information, check us out at goodshepherdhenderson.info or at vegasanglican.org. Thank you, friends in Christ. Have a great week. May the Lord keep you in his hands, and God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian classical education.